When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to The Reinvention Project with Jim Rome Podcast. Welcome to episode 15 of The Reinvention Project with Jim Rome. I would love to tell you that this reinvention process is now complete and that I'm just going to walk it off on this app. That, of course, though, is not the case because this process of reinvention and renewal is not easy at all. Nothing worthwhile is. And we know this. Just as we know there are no hacks or tricks or shortcuts or magic pills that we can take that are going to get us to where we need to be. However, there are strategies and tactics that do work. Even more importantly, there is science. Science that you can use to achieve self-mastery and live your most amazing life. And joining me today to discuss that science is somebody who has studied it for the better part of a quarter of a century. He has worked with some of the world's best achievers. Dr. Michael Gervais is a sports psychologist and somebody that I've admired for years, but incredibly enough, have never spoken to before now. Incredible because of the admiration I have for him personally and for the work he has done with world record holders, Olympians, internationally acclaimed artists and musicians, MVPs from every sport, and Fortune 100 CEOs. He's absolutely brilliant, and his insight into how the mind works and how you can train it will blow your mind. Pun intended. But that's essentially the point, though, right? To understand how your brain works so you can train it and use it to your advantage. This is an absolutely amazing conversation, and I guarantee you're going to agree. Episode 15 of The Reinvention Project with guest Dr. Michael Gervais is coming at you right now. Michael, how you and I have not come together sooner, uh, I have no idea, but it is so good to have you on this podcast. Thank you very much. How are you? How's your life? How are things? Yeah. I mean, coming with heat, I, I can't tell you how much uh, you've influenced thinking for me around sport. And so I'm so stoked to be here with you. And just a high note, like life is good for me. And so it's been challenging and hard and there's new challenges and kind of new things we're trying to solve, but um you know, that's, that is life. And so I feel grateful to be here with you. Yeah, that's great. It is. I feel very, very fortunate to have you here. So why don't we talk life for a minute? Like you've been in sports psychology and performance psychology for the better part of a quarter of a century. And you pose a very simple, but critical question. What is high performance? So why don't we start right there, Michael, how would you define high performance? How should we look at high performance? It's it. I think it's a hard question because it involves a couple um, it, it, it involves a paradigm of which, hold on, let me say it this way. Is high performance defined by world standards or is it defined by your personal best? That is the fundamental question to sort out. And I can't give you that answer, right? Like you and your people have to determine is high performance as a reference point to what others are doing across the planet or neighborhood or is it based on your personal best? And there are traps to both. Because if you say, no, 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 like the nice people, Jim, wanna say high performance, like, no, it's your personal best. That's what the game is. Like, how can I get better today and better today and better and better? You know, but the trap with that, Jim, is that, well, what if you, 
what let, let's let's say you and I are in a in a garage band and we're in the and we're jamming and it's good. And I don't know if you're are you on lead vocal? Are you on guitar? What what Jim, what is your framework here? I would be I, I'd have to be lead vocals. I mean, I hate you to be that to I be. hate to be that, that guy, voice, Michael, but I'd have to. Yeah, with that voice. Okay, so you're on lead vocal and I'm on the drums banging away. And, and we get done with our little set and we go, hey, that sounded good, huh? And you're like, yeah. And then we roll up the garage and there happens to be another band across the street in another garage. And it's you too. <laughs> right. about it? You know, like, are, seriously, like, are we high performers? If we are doing our very best, but we don't have reference points. So that's a little bit of a trap. It's like a naivete trap. The other side of the equation is like, if we're always comparing ourselves to world's best, oftentimes we lose the process and the performance standards of growth. And so if we're always comparing ourselves to others, we might be at our very best. We might, let's switch stories here. We might go to the Olympics, you and I are a team, some, some sort of team, and we have our PR at the games, but we take a fifth. I don't know, is it high performance? Hmm. I, I kind of say, yeah, it's my personal best. It's everything that I was capable of doing. And I had a PR at the games. So um, when I describe it, I think about a lot of different variables that are involved in it, accelerated growth, getting on the edge of one's you know, potential in that fear space where things could fall apart. It's the edge of the envelope that I'm more interested in than the reference points in comparison. So when we get on the edge of the envelope, we're on that razor's edge and we can dance on it, play on it, when we're right at the space of being out of control, but we're finding that artistic expression inside or in yeah inside of that those moments for me that's high performance i just want to string as many of those things together as i can and do the same for folks i get to work with all right see that's really interesting i think that's where you want to be right so how do you consistently put yourself there before you answer that part of the question michael for instance you study and teach the science of excellence and the truly extraordinary understand the power of the mind and i've heard you say this they're not going to leave that to chance exactly what do the extraordinary do in that regard for instance how do you go about making sure that you're not leaving your most important tool your mind to chance that's a great question because world's best are very clear and i'm jim when you and i talk about world's best we're talking about those like half a half a percenters those very rare individuals that are shaping the nature of human potential and sometimes shaping you know how their industry works but they are incredible at what they do they rate wave their hand that there's only three things that we can train we can train our craft our body and our mind. And it, like you said, they're not leaving any of those up to chance. So how do you train the mind is very, seems like a simple question, but let me just give a, a framework first here is that traditional psychology, the study of the mind was the study of what was broken, what was not working, what was uh, dysfunctional about your inner life. And that, that's where it's been for hundreds of years. The last, let's call it 40 years, has been this emerging science about how do the best operate? How do they organize their inner life? And how do they use their mind to develop the ability to be in the present moment more often? For a concrete example, confidence is a trainable skill. Now, when you and I were coming up in peewee sport or whatever we we're doing, most adult coaches did not know how to tell us to train our mind. They would just say, hey, go out there and be confident. You should, you've earned the right to be confident but they don't show us mechanically how to build it. 
there is a science now that is very crisp and clear that here is how you train your mind to be more confident. And I can give you the, there's no kind of punchlines here. It is essentially confidence comes from one place and one place only, which is what you say to yourself. Now, what's interesting about that, Jim, is that what you say to yourself is always under your control. You might not be good at it because you haven't trained it. But what you say to yourself either creates constriction where you tighten up or it creates a little bit of space where you can play. And so self-talk becomes a real big deal when it comes to laddering up to this confident ability to be confident. So confidence is a state and it is quite transient, meaning that you can be confident in one setting and maybe lose confidence quickly. And it essentially that skill of self-talk is where the money is made when it comes to being able to be present and playful on that razor's edge that we were talking about earlier. So that's one, calm is, being calm is trainable, confidence is trainable, deep focus is trainable, optimism is trainable. I can go down the ladder of list here. And God, I love this science because it is the keyhole right now for human flourishing and certainly high performance. Let me take a moment to talk to some of you small business owners. Today, small business owners are busier than ever because they're focused on managing and growing their business. They can't always spend the time they need on recruiting. This is why LinkedIn Jobs has made it easier to find and hire the best candidates for free. I love LinkedIn. I check it every single day and I use it. It is an amazing product. And you can get started yourself by posting your job for free to reach LinkedIn's network of 740 million professionals. Fill out targeted screening questions to get your role in front of the most qualified candidates with the experience, skills, and motivation that you need. Then you use simple tools and you filter and you prioritize the top candidates that you'd like to interview. LinkedIn Jobs will help you hire the right person for your role and your first job post is free. Just visit linkedin.com slash Rome. Once again, that's linkedin.com slash R-O-M-E to post your first job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Also, Michael, you have what you consider a fundamental axiom, that being, quote, everything you need is already inside of you. Now, I listen, if you say it, I believe it. I really want to believe that, but is it true in the sense that if you unbox every last one of us, we are already preloaded with the necessary hardware? Is that what that means? Yeah. That's I was waiting for the but I was waiting for it, Jim. <laughs> so there it yes. is. Yeah, there it is. Okay. So everything you need is already inside you. What does that mean? It means for you to meet the demands of this moment to your best ability right now, you do have what it takes. And I'll, I'll pull on that thread to better understand what are, what are we talking about? Like, what is the everything that we're talking about? In your history, you have loads of experiences where you've met intensity with playfulness. You've met um, a hostile environment with stillness. You have been able to express yourself artistically. You have been able to be confident and calm and deeply focused in a rugged, high-pressured environments. You have it. It doesn't mean that you can access it, though. So that's the difference, is that it's in there, but it might not be easily accessible because you've also got some other habits of mind, which is to tighten up, to doubt, to critique, to worry, to overthink, you know, and literally that is the choking mechanism that takes place for the undisciplined mind. So no one in sport has ever choked. And I say that because no one's eating 
a flipping hamburger when they're out, you know, doing their thing. So choking in the traditional sense is it's never taken place. But what happens, Jim, as you'd recognize, is that people choke off access to the good stuff, to their ability to respond to the present moment, whatever those demands might be. It's in there. You have the ability, but you might not have access to it. And that's why we train our mind to widen the aperture so that you can be more present more often. And how do you do that? Like train your mind to be here in this conversation or wherever you're going more often or wherever you're being, I should say. So I hope I didn't get too esoteric there, but um, that is essentially a fundamental belief that you have good stuff in there, Jim. You've sorted out plenty of times. My job with you is to hold up a mirror, you know, kind of maybe shine some light on some stuff where it's like, damn, that's right. I have solved a lot. I've done a lot. And then start to build your psychological narrative around those experiences in your history, rather than worrying about, you know, maybe I don't have what it takes. And when you do start to worry, that's normal to have some mechanisms in place where you go, oh, look, I'm jumping on this train of thought, this worry train of thought. I know where that's going to leave me if I don't get off on the next stop. That's going to leave me in a really kind of dark place here, really keyed up, scratchy, anxious place. Let me get off this train. Literally, let me get off this train and jump on, you know, I don't know, like a badass train. Let me go get on the badass train. It's available because you know what that's like too. Listen, do not let the stress of daily life weigh on your body. Whether you're an elite athlete or somebody just like me trying to make it through the day tension-free, Theragun can help you out. This is an absolutely amazing product. I love my Theragun. It's a handheld percussive therapy device that releases your deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combo of depth, speed, and power. And it's as quiet as an electric toothbrush. The Gen 4 Theragun, though, doesn't just feel good. It gets right at the source of the pain by releasing tension using Theragun's signature percussive therapy, which goes 60% deeper than vibration alone. So whether you want to treat your muscle tension from working out or you have an injury or you're just dealing with the stresses of everyday life, there is no substitute for the Theragun Gen 4. It's used by 250 professional sports teams like Real Madrid and elite athletes like Paul George, DeAndre Hopkins, Maria Sharapova, and hundreds of thousands of customers like me. Try Theragun for 30 days, starting at only $199. What you want to do is go to theragun.com slash reinvention right now and get your Gen 4 Theragun today. Once again, theragun.com slash reinvention. Theragun.com slash reinvention. I love mine, and I know you'll love yours too. It's amazing. Now, Michael, this actually is not too esoteric. It's, I mean, it's, it is so profound. And this actual podcast that you and I are having right now, this conversation is part of a reinvention podcast. This is not the normal thing that you and I, like you and I reference sports because that's where we live. You are a sports performance psychologist. I'm a sports talk show host. This is kind of a side hustle to the side hustle. And I'm just kind of at a point in my life where I'm trying to rethink things and reprocess things. So it's not too esoteric and it's fascinating. You know, if I were even to spin this thing back, like ground zero, and I've heard you talk about this too, is ground zero for all of this not self-discovery? I mean, is that not the place to start, or if not the very first place to start, one of the first places to start? And what do we do with that when we're talking about self-discovery? What kind of questions are we asking ourselves? That is awesome. Because if we oversimplify this beautiful science of psychology, which for 
decades has had a really bad rap because it's been invisible. Psychology by its nature is invisible. You can't see thoughts. But you know what, Jim? You can't see gravity either. But you can see the downstream effect of gravity. You can see the artifact of gravity. You can see if you drop something, it lands. And sometimes it breaks, sometimes it bounces, whatever. But the downstream effect for thoughts is physiological tightening or loosening. That's the downstream effect. And I, I can explain that in more detail in a moment. But what I want to get to is that if we oversimplify this beautiful science that happens to be invisible, which makes it, I think, one of the hardest science, because we have to use our imagination in different ways, is that there's two basic camps to play in. One is self-discovery and the other is psychological skills. So self-discovery is, <laughs> I'll tell you, it's not easy because you're asking yourself or you're working with somebody else that's asking you hard questions, the big questions in life. Who are you? What is your purpose? And it's not just like write it down. It's like, on, like in all essence, what are you flipping doing here? What mm -hmm. is your purpose? And I'll tell you, once you get your personal philosophy, which is a fancy phrase, it sounds almost intimidating too. A personal philosophy is what are my guiding principles in life? Big rock to get in the container. What are my first principles, the unwavering principles in my life? Write that shit. Sorry. Write that stuff down. You can write that shit the, down. Okay, good. The second is purpose, which is what am I doing here? Write that down. That Those two, if you just got those two in the container, that's a big lift. And I'll tell you what's powerful about this, Jim. Once you're clear, nobody, nobody can take them away from you. And when you operate from that place and you walk into a stressful environment, and you kind of get knocked a little bit off center, you know, by somebody looks at you a certain way or they laugh at you or whatever, whatever takes place, you can come back to like, wait, hold up. My purpose is clear. It's not to be liked by you. <laughs> That's not what I'm trying to do here. And so we come back to this balanced place and we square our shoulders up. We can look whatever it is uh, that feels intense in the eyes and then take the next natural step forward. Once you're clear about your personal philosophy, your purpose, the whole thing kind of just cascades down from there. And then the other ones on the self-discovery process is, so it's personal philosophy, it's purpose, and then it's your vision of what, when you use your imagination, what, what do you create in your mind about a beautiful future? And then that thing, this is how we do coaching with, with athletes, right? So a coach, myself, and an athlete will get in a room and we'll do some of the self-discovery work. And at one point we'll say, okay, listen, what does three years look like? What do you think? And they go, well, you know, I think MVP or Hall of Fame or this, that, and the other, or I just want to make the squad. And, you know, I want to have these type of stats, whatever. And what we do is we make it so crystal clear. We're using our imagination, but we're making the fabric of our this, this narrative so clear that we look each other in the eyes. We say, right, I'll bet. I want to commit to that adventure. I got your back on it. And there's some calibrations because I was in, in, a, in, a, in a setting once, Jim, where uh, there's a kid that was barely making the team. No, he was, let me say it this way. He was a rookie. This is in the NFL. He was a rookie. And I'm sitting with his coach and the athlete. And we asked that question. And the athlete says, um, uh, he says, oh, Pro Bowl next year. I'm in. Like, I can see it. It's happening. I'm in. And the coach looks at him and goes, son, you are incredibly talented. And when the ball's up in the air, I don't know anyone better than you. 
but you got to make this team first because <laughs> you fake out the quarterback. Like you're not reliable. And he looks like what he says, yeah, you got to run the right routes on time and you have to have some discipline. And the kid was like, wow, I didn't expect that from you, coach. He goes, let me, let me be. And the coach goes back and says, let me be clear. Your talent is unbelievable. You just need to work inside the system and then get creative as soon as you touch the ball. And so it just transformed and all of us are like, right, okay. And then we got like three, five years out. What does it look like? And that got even more clear because if he did the things to make the squad to be predictable, Hall of Fame, you know, was likely, but certainly Pro Bowl was a, a reasonable stop. So anyways, I, I get esoteric there because, um, it, or I want to be more concrete because it, it, it happens using our imagination to say, what the hell are we doing here? And what does a beautiful future look like? And then we, we get a tribe of people around us that can hold us accountable, hold the standard, love us up, coach us up, say the hard things. And when you do that with other folks and you're a receiver and a giver of that, I'm telling you, it just gets like, it gets really fun. The good shit. And then we start to talk about Michael Mastery. For instance, you've got a fascinating podcast called Finding Mastery. And you've been in that space now for several years. You've done several hundred episodes. So... Does mastery, I mean, we and we started the conversation with this, right? Does it change from person to person or are there universal concepts and precepts for finding it that apply to most across the board? For instance, I know you're going to deal with really high-level athletes, but when we talk about mastery, do these same things apply to the salesperson, the soccer mom, me, you, Russell Wilson? Like, how do we approach mastery? And one size does not fit all, obviously. Yeah, it's a good question because I think the first frame to pull this concept apart a bit to try to better understand it is that there are two parts. There's mastery of self and there's mastery of craft. Hmm. And I'm really interested in the combination between the two, the interlinking between the two. And so it is mastery of self through craft that gets me to go, yeah, okay, I like this framing because I'm using my craft to better understand who I am. And it's almost like a bumper when I go try to do something hard because the path of mastery is hard. It's a thin herd path. It's not carved, it's not cut. There's weeds and you know it's thick and it's hard to know where North is. And so it is for the rare, no, let me say that better. It is for all of us, but only the rare travel it because it's so flipping hard. So it's mastery of self through craft. And then when you when we unpack those two just a bit, you ask about some of the precepts and the commonalities. I, I am so surprised about the humility that the world's best across multiple disciplines lead with. And it's not a false humility. There's narcissism in the way that they conduct themselves often. There's a bit of anxiousness, a bit of neur neuroticism. There is some obsessiveness. There's some narcissism there's some there's just an underlying scratchiness that happens with many of them but there's also those who have really experienced the language of mastery there's a humility about what they don't know about what they're curious of and they are obsessed with learning they also want to tell you how good they are they want to show you that too so i don't want to be pollyannish here by any means right but there's an obsession with growth and they recognize in a humble way, there's so much that they don't know. Down from that, the people that are almost belligerent with their arrogance, 
they might be high performers. You know, they might be world's best, but I'm not putting them in a path of mastery. I'm not putting them in, in that category. Michael, you posed a question to a mutual friend of ours recently, Ryan Holiday. You've appeared on each other's podcasts, and you asked him. I thought this was really interesting. You said to him, where do you come from when you're at your best? End of quote. Like, again, I would imagine everybody's different. But generally, when you pose that question of high achievers, what kind of responses do you get? So the first pass for most people is they go, yeah, there's very little going on inside. It's like this purity that takes place and it's not crowded. There's not a whole lot of constriction. If any, there's a fluidity. And so that's the kind of the first thing that they talk about. And it's like, they want to honor that there's a very special space when they are truly at their highest, their best, if you will. And the science around that is called flow state and athletes call it being in the zone and Musicians call it being in the pocket, you know, engineers will report like when they put their headphones on and are listening to music and they're coding. And then all of a sudden they lose track that there's music. And if all of a sudden it feels like the music turned up really loud, whatever period of time that they lost track of music, they were in that good shit zone, if you will. Mm -hmm. And so, so that's kind of the, the first spot. Then underneath there's some words that people describe. And it, I think there's about five or six that people, um, almost archetypes. And it, so here's some archetypes, like, are you calm or are you intense? Are you smooth or are you chill? Are you aggressive or are you relaxed? So there's like, you know, there's a few archetypes of the way people describe themselves and what most people do that really understand what it's like to be at their best. There's like two or three words that they combine together to get the right Oh, essence of it. And so, for example, some athletes, they are just best when they are flipping, like almost like a velociraptor, like really intense, like up in everyone's business, kind of wild in that respect. So they'll talk about like pure intensity on, I'm in your space. And others are like, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to slip in like 42 points on you don't even realize it. I'm having a good time. I'm chill. That's when I'm at my best. So what we do from that place, Jim, is we back in a whole strategy to become familiar with that state of mind. And so that's what a pre-performance routine might look like, but that's what mental training is meant to do is put you in that state more often. Hmm. Michael, I'm curious, like when you look at the world around us right now, and you know the numbers on this, but like anxiety is all around us. Like I would imagine, and I don't want to be, you know, I'm a lay person. I don't want to talk out my backside, but you have clinical anxiety. I would imagine then you have anxiousness, but I would imagine that at a time like this, pretty much everybody is experiencing some form or level of anxiety. You even admitted yourself to having anxiety in the past. Like, I'm really curious for you, what was the cause of your anxiety? What did you deal with? Okay. So I will concretely answer that because it led me down this path of wanting to understand the mind. Right. And so it was kind of ground zero for me, but anxiety, clinical anxiety, it's at an all time high right now, you know, and definitely in our lifetime, but in, in our grandparents' lifetime as well, anxiety is an all time high. And that is simply because we just went through a radical year, 2020, where there was, we were coming into 2019, let's say, for most of us kind of holding on to the edge of the cliff, like we're coming home tired, you know, we're coming home where our claws are just 
barely hanging on the edge of the cliff. Thank God we get to the weekend. Thank God we get to um, maybe a, a couple cocktails or whatever it might be. Fuck, and, right? Yeah. And so it's it wasn't really working, but we were keeping our head above water. 2020 hits and the tide rolled out and we saw who weren't wearing clothes. And what, what I mean by that is it revealed who had invested in their psychological skills. So when we have chronic stress stacked on with acute stress, there is a very predictable arc that takes place for humans. We go from, again, chronic stress, I'm sorry, acute stress to chronic stress. Then there's this arc, this downward arc, fatigue, staleness, burnout, early death. And so you might, you might chuckle like, yeah, yeah, I recognize fatigue. Like I, I, I'm, I'm, I know that feeling. And so anxiety is a pervasive and uncommon worry about what could go wrong. And it's this looping inside of our head about all the stuff that could go wrong later. And it's so unsettling that we find this physiological response where we, our breathing changes, our heart rate changes, we're hotter, you know, our, our, the, the ends of our limbs, our fingers and toes might be colder because circulation doesn't work as well. Blood is flowing to um, places where it doesn't allow us to think as clearly and creatively. So there's a whole cascade of things. We become agitated. And when we feel that state, we look out at people around us that they must be the reason I feel this way. Damn it. <laughs> it's you because I'm, I, it can't be me, my inabilities. It must be what you said or Fuck. you did. I'm okay. just, I'm, I'm just saying, I'm starting to interrupt. I'm shaking my head. Like yeah. I'm, I'm, this is checking every box. Like I've felt every one of these things at some point in the last couple of years. Like this is yeah. all making sense. I'm very sorry to interrupt. Keep going. No, nah, you're on it. You're, you're on it with all of us. And so sleep becomes compromised. Yes, that too. Yeah, the, whole, the whole thing. So it is. So anxiety is a psychological condition and it really is about, do you, are you aware of how you speak to yourself? And this is how you can make an impact. Once you're aware of how you speak to yourself, then you can adjust. You can upgrade your thinking, your thoughts that lead to thought patterns. And once you have thought patterns that you practice, it leads to habits of thought. Once you have habits of thought in place, they kind of go non-conscious and you don't have to think about it anymore. And you just find yourself that you're chilling more rather than like stressed out. Hmm. And so, you know, really concretely and short in a, uh, concise way as a young little athlete talking high school years i could do the thing in practice but not in competition and i was a good little athlete and i just couldn't sort it out and so there was surfing was my my sport of choice and i was in a competition and there's a gentleman i was surfing up you know as a young kid surfing up against uh, men and he paddles by me there's only three people out in the water it's about head high conditions playful fun you could do some stuff in there it was great only three people out, like I said, and he paddles by me and he's like, Gervais, I see you out here every day. You got to just stop worrying though about what could go wrong. Hmm. And I thought, how the hell does he know what's in my head? <laughs> right. And that was like, I was 15 years old and I was like, oh my God, it's my head. I didn't even know there was a thing called psychology. No one in my family went to school, you know, like no one went to advanced education. No one even went to college. And so um, that thing lit me up. It was a lightning bolt experience for me. And uh, I didn't have the chops to make it into the pros, but um, I became <laughs> obsessed with how the mind works. And that's my life purpose, Jim, to help people 
live in the present moment more often. Uh, so that, that's that's a wild story. And I'm going to ask yeah. you in one minute, Michael, how you can help people do that. I do want to ask you this. Like in sports, we constantly talk about athletes and the need to recover, you know, recovery from training, recovery from the event itself. What about individuals, you, me, whoever? How critical is recovery to all of us to perform at our best and really live our best life? I, you know this, but I think most people would be surprised by how much attention and science we put into recovery in elite athletics. 99% of people are working hard. Let's say 95. There are freaks out there, Jim, that can eat whatever they want, not sleep, drink whatever they want, jump 42 inches and, you know, be clutch on, on a regular basis. It's crazy. But the rest of us, we have to put in real work. And when you're putting in high effort, intense work for an extended period of time, recovery is the art and science of the competitive advantage. So if you want to oversimplify it, and it's ne- nothing's ever this simple as like two variables, but whatever unit of re- intense stress that you put yourself under today, you need equal units of recovery just to kind of stay even keel. If you have too much recovery and not enough stress, then we're, when we're over recovered, we don't, we lose that coiled up kind of springy spark about ourselves. And that's, a, there's no arc to growth there. If we're overtrained and under recovered in non-athletics, when we're over stressed and under recovered, we find ourselves in that fatigue, stale, burnout, depressed state. And so recovery, the old model of recovery in the workforce was let me just get my, I'm going to grind until I get my two weeks. I'm sorry. This might not be favorable to you, but the hustle hard mentality, it's broken. It's not sustainable. It doesn't work. It is a prerequisite that you're going to work your ass off if you want to do something special in this world. And so really where the money is made is intelligent recovery. And so that is a daily investment in recovering properly. And so there's four big buckets that we work from. Sleep is the big one. Competing your ass off to get your sleep right. That's the biggest one you can get in the container. The second is nutrition and hydration. It's amazing how far that goes. And unfortunately, alcohol is not favorable to recovery. We can talk about that if you want. Oh, I do want to talk Uh, about that, but go ahead. Yeah, movement, you know, um, getting that strain just right where you're working your ass off and then you're doing all the movement modalities to uh, allow your muscles to recover as well. And then the last is thinking well. So it's sleep well, eat and hydrate well, move well, and think well. And if you got the first three right, you ate fish and vegetables, you got eight hours of sleep, you know, you, you, you got to the gym and got up there a little bit on intensity, and then you wake up in the morning, and first thing out of the gate is you're worrying about everything because you don't know how to be optimistic. You don't know how to be confident. You don't know how to be calm. You just burn through all of those resources that you stored up. Mm. So it really is almost like the Panama Canal where there's, you know, this interlocking that needs to take place to recover properly. Wow. I, God, I'm so glad I asked you that question. Like, Michael, the, you've done more and more work with enterprise companies and business in recent years. Like, I understand athletes know they have to get their sleep and recover. What about super high-achieving business people, CEOs? I mean, are they consistently getting eight hours of sleep every night? So about six years ago, I'd spent almost two decades in pro sport. And then I popped my head into elite business, if you will. And I was fortunate enough to work with one of the largest, most influential companies in the world 
um, from a leadership CEO leadership all the way through, and that's Microsoft. And when I first popped my head into Microsoft, I couldn't believe what I saw. Some of the most intelligent, hardworking people on the planet with next to nothing when it comes to sophistication and recovery. I couldn't believe how they're doing it. And so they know it because they're so smart. There's, I can't imagine somebody in business right now on the planet that doesn't know that seven to eight hours is what research would suggest for 80% of the population you know, for sleep. I, I can't imagine that somebody doesn't know that. Now being disciplined <laughs> to get that seven to eight hours is a whole different deal. And so it's not a knowledge thing. It's the application of knowledge and the support mechanisms to hold people accountable to that and the air cover from leadership to say, listen, we need each other to be switched on and to be great day in and day out. And this literally was a, a, a game changer for me as one of the CEOs from a very large company, um, over 100,000 employees, looks at his senior leadership team of 12 people and says, I'm going to get eight hours of sleep. I'm committing right now because I need to be at my best for you. And so I'm committing to eight hours. I know it's hard, but damn it, we need it. I want you guys to make that same commitment back to me because I don't want you grinding on five hours of sleep, six hours of sleep, because we know what Gervais just talked to us about. We know that if somebody is five days at five hours of sleep, this is like 95% of people, five days at five hours of sleep at night, effectively, they would be the same as somebody that wouldn't pass a DUI test. Wow. All right. So, I mean, okay. So bring, okay. Fascinating. And that brings me back to what the point you made about alcohol, like Michael, I mean, I'm going to be very transparent. Like most of my entire career, I've been five hours, five days a week, go as hard as I possibly can to get to Friday and not, not to shut down because I prep hard on the weekends as well, but I'm going to get that cocktail. And that cocktail is probably going to be two cocktails, never Sunday to Thursday ever, but always on Friday because that's the carrot, that's the finish line. So how do we factor in? And I know it's not, I know that's not the right thing, but I haven't stopped doing it. And it hasn't affected me in the way that I haven't had a pretty good life and a pretty good career, but overall, I know I'm not recovering. So what is our approach to alcohol? How should we see it? How should we use it? What's responsible? Yeah, it's cool. So I think that, um, one, let's just recognize that everybody's physiology is uniquely theirs. And so you and nor I are statistics. So we have to know our body well, and maybe your body metabolizes alcohol really quickly. It doesn't. You know? And it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't <laughs> like when you were 20, you know? Yeah. And so, so here's a couple rules of thumb is that, um, alcohol. So for every glass or cup or shot that you're taking it, it the game is about sleep. So if you drink a, a bunch and then fall asleep, your body goes, Whoa, we got to process this poison. Do not go to deep sleep because I don't know if I can get you back out of there. And so you just stay in a lighter sleep state. That's one reason alcohol is problematic. So if you had two, three drinks, four, whatever, but you had it, each glass was about 90 minutes to two hours prior to sleeping, you'd probably be okay because you'd flush it, you'd flush, flush the, uh, the, the, the threshold out of the system. So one glass, uh, two glasses, about four hours before you fall asleep. And so if you wanna fall asleep at 10 o'clock, you know, start drinking at five. <laughs> Hmm, right. <laughs> yeah. In some respects, it's unreasonable, you know? And so um, that's just kind of how physiology works for most people. I get it. So finally then, and and 
wow, we could do this for hours and hours, and I'm really, really appreciative of the time that we've had. Uh, but yeah. the, I mean, the, the mission, as you've pointed out, is to help as many people as possible live in the present. I love this conversation. I love the message. I love what you teach. I'd love to be there when you're working with the Seahawks or other elite performers in and out of sport. I'd love to work with you personally. I'm sure others listening would too, but there is one opportunity, right? There is a proposition here. You have an online course called Finding Your Best. If you sign up for that, Michael, what kind of access do they get to you? What's the proposition here? Get me to a yes on this. What are you offering folks here? How, how fun is that? Okay, so six years ago, Coach Carroll comes flying out of his office. Coach Carroll's the head coach of the Seattle Seahawks. And he says, Mike, can you feel what we're doing here? Can you feel the environment? I'm like, yeah. And so what he was talking about is there was 75, 85 alpha competitive males, you know, coaches and staff or coaches and athletes with their noses pointing into the uh, same direction. So this is the year we ended up going to the Super Bowl. And he says, without skipping a beat, he says, do you think anyone outside of sport would be interested in what we're, we're doing here? And what he was talking about was his frameworks on how to switch on a culture where people can do their very best work. And then my stuff was about how people who wanted to do their very best, how to train their minds. And so it was like one plus one was equal 11. And he says, let's just write it down. And so back of a napkin, we wrote down our stuff. And that turned into a very sophisticated online program where we're pulling back the curtain and showing you all five factors and 15 skills that you can, that we use with elite athletics that you can use in your home life or your business life so that you can be your very best more often. And so we literally pull back the curtain to show you how to train your mind to invest in yourself so that you can do the very same for others around you. I think it's my best work. I love it. And um, it's the, the time I spent with the Seahawks was so meaningful to me. So if people want to do this, if they want to get behind the curtain, see exactly what's there, if they want to see where the magic is, where do they go? How do they find out about this? Findingmastery.net forward slash course. And how about this, Jim? We're going to, let's do it. Let's do a little competition. Somebody tags you and tags me on social. I'm at Michael Gervais and let's give away a course. It's 500 bucks. Let's give away a course to whoever you pick. You pick whoever it is that writes, that sends a message to you like, why training their mind would matter to them right now. And uh, I'm happy to give one away uh, for sure. You know, I appreciate that very much. Let's do that. I think that's great. Let's definitely do that. Thank you for that, Michael. And let's see what they do with that. I mean, competition is best. Competition Tuesday, right? Pete's all about that. Yes, he is. <laughs> Compete to be your very best every day. Michael, what an awesome time this was. Listen, thank you so very much for the time. I really appreciate the visit. As I said, I'm not sure how this did not happen sooner. Better late than never. That was time extremely well spent. And I appreciate you so much, Michael. Thank you. Hey, Jim, you're a legend, and I'm honored to be on your show. Thank you. My man, the doctor, Michael Gervais. Imagine the coolest, chillest dude that you know. Like, we all went to college with somebody like that. Michael Gervais is that dude, except with an IQ of like 500 and a PhD. And he works and trains some of the greatest achievers in the entire world. And he is the coolest, chillest dude you know. Kidding aside, this is a brilliant person who is doing cutting-edge work and who said recently that the next decade is going to be the decade of the mind. 
and that the best of the best have always known that the mind is a beautiful and powerful thing and they cannot leave its development, care, and training to chance. Again, and this theme just keeps getting hammered every single week here on this podcast, if you have a jacked up mindset, you are going to have a jacked up life. Michael Gervais actually puts it another way. He reminds us that you take your mind everywhere you go. And if you don't develop it and it's a mess, it doesn't matter where you are. It's always there. It's always with you. You can't just move or go on vacation or change jobs. If you're a mess mentally, it's going to follow you wherever you go and in whatever you do. But the good news is there is science for strengthening your mind. And that, quote, everything you need is already inside of you, end of quote. And that confidence is a skill, and you can train it. And that self-mastery is possible as long as you do the hard work, and you ask yourself the hard questions, and you dive deeply into self-discovery. But you need to be very clear on your purpose, your mission, and why you're here. If you can't answer those fundamental questions, you're not going to get better at the things that matter to you most. Another point that Michael makes is that life really is all about your relationships and the most important relationship you have is the one with yourself and that that's where it all starts and that you cannot outperform your self-esteem. What a powerful statement that is. You cannot perform and have an amazing life if your self-esteem is battered. And since everything filters through your mind, that's where you have to start. And then once you are solid there, that's when the really good stuff starts to flow. It's not easy, it takes work, but you want to make sure that you don't leave development of your most important muscle, your mind, to chance. The best know this. Needless to say, as amazing as this conversation was, it is merely the tip of the iceberg as it relates to what Michael Gervais is teaching individuals, teams, and corporations. I would encourage you to listen to his Finding Mastery podcast. It's tremendous. It's super food for the brain. And to check out his excellent online course as well. Once again, a brilliant conversation with a brilliant individual. And if you like what you heard, I would encourage you to share it, review this podcast, subscribe to it, and then that way you never have to go looking for it. It will find you every single week going forward. As always, thank you for finding your way here and sharing this journey with me. Have an absolutely amazing week, and I will see you next time right here on The Reinvention Project with Jim Rome. Thanks for listening. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.